What's up, Gator Nation? Welcome back to the In All Kinds of Weather forecast. Dustin Smith will be joining us shortly. He is in a bit of a time crunch. He is flying back home right now in order to participate in this pod. But in the meanwhile, I will be taking the host role tonight. Of course, I am Neil Shulman. You can follow me on Twitter at all kinds weather, as well as on Instagram under that same handle. And a couple of days have passed since the, I guess I'll call it a devastating loss to Kentucky. It didn't officially end the Gator season, but all the goals that the Gators always shoot for at the start of every year are looking a lot less likely to be turned into reality this year than they were before that Kentucky game kicked off. But of course the Gators do still have seven games left. They do have over half their season still ahead of them. And it starts this Saturday against the Vanderbilt Commodores and Dustin and myself will be bringing that to you momentarily until Dustin gets here. I may as well tell you all about, our sponsors slash partners, of course, as always, we are proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that sends underprivileged Gator fans to the swamp. We just wrapped up our 2021 campaign with Ontario Jones. He had the time of his life. Thank you again, Gator Nation. That was just unbelievable to see that smile come on his face, to, to be able to give back to not only someone less fortunate, but someone who has served our country, who's literally put his life on the line to defend our freedom, to be able to do something nice for someone who fits both of those bills is just incredible. Gator Nation, thank you so much for that. Again, really goes to show that, that there are bigger things in football out there. So, there's that. We are looking to get a jump start on our 2022 campaign. If you would like to help us do so, please go to GatorGoodFoundation.com and click on the donate button and all shall be revealed. You can also follow us on our social handles at the Gator Good on Twitter, Gator Good Foundation on Instagram, and the Gator Good Foundation on Facebook. Second, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and they just put a sting in their own marketing, by the way, with a brand spanking new logo. Um, they'll put a sting in your marketing and they'll deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you were someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are two great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One, it's a veteran-owned business, especially after what I just said about Ontario Jones. Can't think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving them business. And two, it's run by a Florida Gator fan. So yes, they do great work, but they do great work and they're owned by a Florida Gator who happens to be a U.S. veteran. To learn more about their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. That is stingraybranding.com. All right, with our ad spots out of the way, our intro has been given to y'all in case y'all didn't already know who we were, which is unlikely given the fact that I think a lot of people, I think our last pod resonated with a lot of people because it's been getting a good amount of traffic. So uh, Dustin, say hello to the people. How have you been, man? Hey, Neil. Hey, everybody. Um, I've been good. I've been, I mean, I've been working hard, 
with my day job. The big thing though is, and we'll get into it as we, we move forward with this, this quick podcast to uh, pregame uh, or preview, I should say, the Vanderbilt game. Um, but I've come to the realization that this Gator football team is not what I was expecting coming into the season. Um, and of course, we'll get into that as this pod goes along. But I'll just say this. Um, I'm not going to be as optimistic moving forward with my, uh, my predictions um, and my analysis. And uh, This team has broken Dustin. Dustin yes. Dustin's optimism has been broken. That's how he's doing, everyone. Yeah, and I'll explain what, what would have to take place for my optimism to come back. But the, um, the press conference on Monday with, with Dan Mullen did my optimism no favors. Um, I don't know yeah. why you listen. I don't know why anyone listens to his pressers anymore, man. I'm, I mean, I, I, oh, that's not true. I sort of do. Like, if you're in Neil, media and your job is to cover what he says, I get it. Obviously, you don't have a choice. Um, and then you know there there are the people who are just trying to desperately glean something from it in the in the sense that he's maybe learned something. But we all know he's not. You know, he's not that type of guy. He's not going to learn his lesson in a press conference. Um, you know, he, he hasn't done it in nine years at Mississippi State, plus three and a half at Florida. So, you know, why would he magically start now? Um, but, no, I, I feel that, Dustin. My – I'm the guy that picked us to beat Alabama. We almost did, but I – I don't know. I, I didn't see Kentucky coming. I, I thought we would lose a game like that. I didn't think it'd be Kentucky, but I, I definitely share your, your disdain for uh, the, the ego that Dan Mullen has displayed so far. And the, the way that this team sort of plays like a, like a Jekyll and Hyde or like a switch, it just goes on and off and on and off. And they just pick and choose when they play well. I, I definitely empathize with that. Yeah, Neil. And considering preseason, I had a, I predicted that Emory Jones would be the reincarnation of Lamar Jackson, and that he would uh, light up the field both in the air and, and on the ground. And uh, though through the first four games, I was partially correct about the ground part. Um, I I was blindsided by his inability to push the ball downfield and 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 make. Uh, and run run an offense at least similar to what Kyle Trask was able to run. Now, I didn't expect Embry to be as good as Kyle Trask through the air, but I expected that his running ability would open up the pass game for him and that throwing the ball for, for him to that degree would be easier. I was wrong, dead wrong, and I deserved to be clotheslined or, or, or hung in a clothesline for that. That was the hot take of all hot takes. And now, and I'll just go and say it now, I have so much respect for Embry. He's a gator through and through. And he's put so much blood, sweat, and tears into this program that he and his family deserve 100% my respect. And as long as he's the starting quarterback for the Florida Gators, I will cheer him on like, like, I'll get out. I'll be at every game that I, that I have a ticket to this season. But in the same breath, as long as we have Emery and as long as his production continues to be 
the average of what its production has been thus far, I think it's going to be very hard for this team to even be 9-3. and three. I know we're getting excited, okay? We might we still have a shot at 10-2 and two or 9-3. and three. This will probably, I hate to say this, Neil, but this will probably be an 8-4 and four or 7-5 and five season if we don't figure out something at quarterback, whether it's figuring out a way to, to get more production from Emory or bringing in another quarterback in, whether it's AR-15 or, you know, I know that obviously Kitna's not game ready, but I mean, he has the pedigree to sling the ball around. So we, we got to do something. Again, I'm not saying that's the solution, but we, the definition, I'll just say this, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. And Neil, it, this is not the first year where, we, where we've seen Dan Mullen go with a quarterback that's been inept. And he's done a darn good job with his quarterbacks. I don't think any coach in the nation would be able to get out of the quarterbacks that Dan Mullen has had than, other than Dan Mullen. But if you have a better quarterback on the roster, use him. And, and we've all seen what he's done with, with AR-15 and what AR-15 has been able to do in limited sample size. Dan Mullen is a world-renowned surgeon who insists on operating with plastic knives and forks. That's what it is. He he's got and, and listen. By the way, I do not agree at all that you're that with with your with your implicit comparison of Emory Jones to Felipe Franks. First of all, Emory is much better as a runner. He doesn't put the ball on the ground the way Felipe does, and I I trust him slightly more as a passer. Not to do the incredibly dumb thing, like you know he'll he'll do it. He'll still make some bad decisions, but not at the clip that Felipe would make him. But that's beside the point. Dan Mullen is like a world-renowned surgeon. Like, he's got the most talented surgical brain, and he's got the most elite surgical hands, for lack of a better way to complete this analogy. But instead of using top-tier, you know, top-grade, top-of-the-line tested proven to be successful hospital gear he insists on operating with plastic silverware like why why do you do that you are so clearly capable of performing the best surgery of anyone in the world why must you continually walk out there with a plastic knife in one hand and a plastic fork in the other why so that's that's my frustration with them. I think that's your frustration too. And it's the frustration of a lot of Gator fans. Yeah. Now again, Neil, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Obviously we anticipate that Anthony Richardson is going to be phenomenal as a Gator. Um, I mean, his, his film, uh, even from what he did in, in limited sample size, both this year and even some snaps that he had in the uh, cotton bowl last year, he looks pretty good. Um, and then moving forward, we'll, we'll talk about recruiting in just a second. But you have Nick Evers who's coming in. I mean, if you look at, at his tape, I mean, he's, he is a great passer. And we, we need to continue to have excellent passers at quarterback. Um, 
because when you have Dan Mullen's offense and you have that running threat from the quarterback, and then you couple that with the throwing ability, it's game over. It's game over with this offense. And we saw what Dan Mullen was able to do last year, and we saw what he was able to do with Tim Tebow. Um, And, you know, it's there. We ju- he just needs to have the confidence in his quarterback and have the right quarterback to do it. Well, he's got to be able to decide which of his quarterbacks is the right one to put on the field. And it can't just blindly be the one that's been in the program the longest. As much as I love Emory Jones for his commitment to the Gators, his grit, his heart, his toughness, I, I love that. But, you know, grit and heart and toughness and commitment and loyalty don't win you games by themselves at least. Um, so you, you talked about recruiting, Dustin. We have a Vanderbilt game to preview momentarily, but first we have the Gator of the future to talk about, and that is Jamari Lyons, a defensive tackle from Melbourne, Florida. Fun fact, uh, I vacation in Melbourne every other year, or in the Atlantic to be exact, um, on, on the waterfront there on the Atlantic Ocean. But, um, but simply that is an area that, I think is very underrated in terms of producing talent. I mean, remember Marcus May was from there, um, you know, different high schools there, but that area like laterally equivalent to about Orlando and Tampa, like that far South in Tampa, but on the Atlantic coast, sneaky good. I mean, Chauncey Gardner Johnson from Coco, like that area has got some talent there. So don't discount it in terms of its importance on the trail. And now we have this kid named Jamari Lyons, a four-star defensive tackle. He is, I believe, a four-star on all the ranking systems, uh, definitely on Rivals and on 247 Composite. I think ESPN, too, but they don't really update theirs very often. But anyway, um, about, he's 6'4", he's 295. Um, well, Dustin, you're the one that loves recruiting. So what do you think of him? I mean, I think he's an excellent get for the Gators. Um, he's still a little raw. Um, I think as he continues to develop within the fundamentals of the game, I think I think he's going to be a great player. Um, his size, I mean, he's a, around 300 pounds, 6'4". He, he kind of carries that, that stereotypical size that you want to see in, a, um, in an SEC defensive lineman. And I think uh, – I think David Turner is going to do a phenomenal job with him. Um, certainly excited to see what he does. And he could very well have an impact on, on this uh, Gator defense in the coming years. Yeah, for sure. I think the thing about him that I'm most excited about is that his weaknesses are coachable. Like, he's he's big and strong. He could grow a little bit more um, in terms of the muscle to fat ratio, but he's he's in pretty good shape as it is. We're not talking like a Desmond Watson situation where you know the kid's got to drop like sixty five pounds to even sniff the field. Uh, by the way, shout out to Watson; he's done that. Like he, Desmond Watson was at one point really out of shape, but he put the work in. He dropped that weight. He got himself to a spot where he could see the field. He's done incredible work there. So hats off to Desmond Watson on that. Congrats. Um, I know he was kind of dismissed on this pod, at, at least at one point by myself saying, you know, he's, he's got a lot of work to do. 
to see the field. Well, he's done that work and he is seeing the field. So Desmond, hats off to you. Um, anyway, Jamari Lawrence, um, his weaknesses are coachable. And by that, I mean, he, he, he plays a little high with his hands. The pad level is not exactly where he'd like it to be. But again, David Turner can coach him into playing with the right pad level. Uh, the footwork isn't fantastic, but you throw a ladder in front of him and you say, you know, you, you point to it and you go, all right, run it. You know, two in, two out, two in, two out, two in, two out. Get him to get that footwork up. Because he can bully his way past a lot of offensive linemen as it is on that on that huddle tape I saw. And the ones that he can't just like throw to the ground, he can use some swim or rips for which are pretty impressive for an interior lineman to get past them. And he can get into the backfield that way. So you add footwork and you add proper pad level to his game. He's going to be problematic. He's, he's going to be very problematic for a lot of centers and guards who are trying to stop him from just falling through that hay gap and getting into the backfield of love the play. So big get for the Gators uh, four star on every, or not every, just, there's only two major, Ranking systems. I don't really trust ESPN anymore. So rivals and two four seven both have him as a four star. Big pickup for David Turner and the Gators. Not really a surprise, but definitely a benefit for the Gators nonetheless. And now we shift from talking about the guy that's going to be a Gator in the future to the guys who are going to suit up for the Gators this coming Saturday. Dustin, it is no secret that you and I were both highly perturbed by what we saw on Saturday night. We were upset because it kind of cost the Gators their season in terms of national championship and even the SEC East still alive for a new year's six bowl, but that's not really, that doesn't have the same shine to it. Um, so it, it's going to be harder to convince these players that, that, that it's all still in front of them the way it would have been after just the Alabama loss. So uh, the first topic of discussion is forget the opponent. For now, we'll, we'll circle back to them in a moment. But just talking Florida and Florida only, what do you want to see this coming Saturday? Neil, it's very simple. I want to see us run an, an offense that is that lives up to the expectation that Gator Nation has had coming into the season. Now, like, like we were discussing at the beginning of this pod, and as I had mentioned earlier, we're not expecting this offense to be what it was in 2020 with the likes of Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts, Kadaris Tony, which I might add had a wonderful game this past Sunday for your New York Giants. Yeah, let's go Big Blue. Yeah, he looked real good. Made me a uh, little, little sad inside, um, wishing he was still part of the Gators. Um, anyway, we can't expect that. We're not going to expect that. But what we were anticipating was an offense that was balanced, an offense that used the run game to open up passing lanes, and, and an offense that would uh, take advantage of mismatches. Now, we don't have Kyle Pitts, but we do have Justin Shorter, and we do have Jacob Copeland. And those two are they're talented and they're formidable receivers. Um, and on top of that, Xavier Henderson, he's very quick. He's very good. Um, we got to get the ball into our receivers' hands, not to mention Gamble. 
the tight end. I, I, we, we were futile in, in, in the past game. Now we, we had, we had, so we, we threw for a little over 200 yards and to a pedestrian looking at that, uh, for lack of a better term, that's respectable. But when you look at how those yards came is with screens and hitches and slants, we're not pushing the ball downfield. We're not, Emory is, has not been efficient at, get, at hitting seam routes or hitting posts. We need to see more of that because let me tell you, it's going to be open versus Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt it doesn't have the secondary talent to even come close to the receiving talent we have. I mean, if I mean, look what Georgia did to them. If I mean, look, we're not Georgia, but we we should be able to do well against them. That, that's what I'm looking to see. First of all, Vanderbilt doesn't have talent in the second year. They don't have talent anywhere. But we'll get to that momentarily. Um, what am I looking forward to see? To answer my own question. I want to see Florida cover the spread, and that's going to mean four more intricate things, four more detailed parts of the game of football. The first thing, which, by the way, 38 and a half, and in order to get that 38 and a half point cover, here are the four games within games of the game of football that are going to have to happen. Number one, I want to see Florida's offensive linemen play like their mothers just got personally insulted, like you guys have been talked about as a strength for the first month. You guys went toe to toe with big, bad Bama. And then you got your skull smashed in, in the trenches by a decent, but not great Kentucky team. And Josh, Josh Pascal is a very underrated defensive lineman for Kentucky. Deandre square is definitely a, an above average defensive player, but that defensive line pound for pound is not what, Alabama says it's not what Tennessee's is, at least from a recruiting number standpoint. So I want to see how you guys bounce back. I want to see you guys firing off the line, playing with the right pad level. I want to see you guys just exploding out of your stances and driving Vanderbilt backwards, creating holes. When you do have to pass block, please do it for more than two or three seconds. When a guy gives you a spin or a rip move, or a swim move or something, don't just say, oh, well, I held it for two and a half seconds. I'm beaten. Like you did a couple of times against Kentucky, not naming names, but let's just say that Kentucky film had more than one of those types of plays where, you know, you got out of your stance, you took a step back, guy comes at you, you put an initial punch in, the guy makes a swim move and you look like he just discovered fire. Like, what is this? Guys can swim? What does that happen? And then meanwhile, Emory is running for his life. No, none of that. I want to see the offensive line play with a purpose. Number two, Emory Jones has not been an elite passer this year. There's, I think, very little, if any, evidence of, of even a single throw that can indicate otherwise. But, Dustin, you know I'm a spread-the-blame-where-it-belongs kind of guy. Let's spread it to the wide receivers. Guys, get open. I mean, Jacob Copeland does sometimes. Trent Whittemore does on occasion. You know, there are individual Neil. plays. It's just the plays are, are not designed to get the ball to guys that are getting open on certain plays. And it's frustrating yes. because 
It it's is. not even to the point that Embry doesn't see the field. His, the play design is literally configured where a guy that is covered is the guy the ball is supposed to go to, and the guy that's open is on the other side of the field. And Emery doesn't know to go through his progressions and go to him. I understand that. Yeah. I'm saying that his receivers aren't getting open at a high enough clip against defensive backs that are not as talented as Florida's wide receivers are. Like if it's Alabama and the guys aren't getting open enough, all right, fair enough. But we saw this against FAU, against USF. We saw it against Kentucky. Carrington Valentine is a as a decent cornerback, he shouldn't be blanketing Justin Shorter for a full four quarters. Are you kidding me? There, there's, there's no excuse for that. Jacob Copeland shouldn't be shut down for 60 minutes by Kentucky. Yeah, sure. He'll lose a rep or two. He'll lose a few reps. This guy was Alabama's handpicked wide receiver on the recruiting trail. He shouldn't be getting silenced by the Kentucky Wildcats. So, no, I want to see guys getting open more consistently, giving Emory Jones more room to throw the ball to. I want to see more receivers get open on a given play so that Emory, on some plays, yeah, it's nice to see him go through his progressions. But how about every now and then a play where everyone gets open against, again, against the secondary that's not so great? Like, say, Vanderbilt. Against Alabama, that's asking for a lot. Against Georgia, that's asking for a lot. That's going to be an uphill battle. But against the, an overmatched team, at least talent-wise, get open. You, you guys are recruited by Florida for a reason. Get open. So help them, help them out. Number three, well, here we go, Emory. Emory, you got to go through your progressions. I know I just talked about spreading the blame, but – I mean, spreading the blame doesn't mean that it absolves him of blame. He's still got to go through his progressions, go through his reads, take plays when they're there. I like how he has at points in the year hit his checkdowns. He has decided, okay, there's nothing there. I'm going to take off. Even if a wide receiver is open 40 yards downfield, if he sees a huge hole, I'm fine with him taking off and getting 20. I have no problem with that. It's the safer thing to do especially when there is a defender somewhat in the vicinity, just take off and get the free 20, 25 yards. Play within yourself. The things that Ben Troop talked about, right? I mean, play within yourself. Don't do anything stupid. You know, if it's there to get six yards, take off and get your six yards. Be done with the play, whatever. If you're about to get sacked, like you know, on the third and 10 play against Alabama, just eat it. Don't make a bad play worse. Take the sack, punt, whatever. Play smart, Emery. But – Part of playing smart doesn't just mean limiting damage on plays that aren't going your way. It also means understanding that there's more than one wide receiver on a given play that you can potentially throw the ball to. So, I mean, the, the kinds of things that you have to do to play quarterback at any level, he has to do on a more fundamental and at least basic basis. Number four, backups. Florida's going to get a big lead at some point. I'm convinced of it because Vanderbilt is awful. Um, and we'll get to that in just a moment, but Florida's going to have a big lead like they did against USF, or it was 35-3 with six minutes left in the second quarter. That's going to happen again on Saturday. But when that happens, I don't want to see Florida take its foot off the gas. Of course, you can pull the starters. That's a very different thing. But here's where Florida has a chance to let the stars of 2022, 2023, even 2024 get some playing time and star, and shine, and do things, and rack up some game tape, get some reps, get some practice in real 
competition on the field. You know, you, of course, you can play four games and not even use a year of eligibility now these days. So don't take your foot off the gas, Dan. Don't just call it quits because you have a nice lead because you've covered the spread halfway through the second quarter. I want to see the entire team, whoever it is on the field, whatever string, whatever units out there, I want to see them play like it's the SEC championship for 60 minutes. So that's how Florida's going to cover, Dustin, because Florida isn't really playing a team that's on its talent level. Florida's playing Vanderbilt, who is a misleading two and three. They have gotten clobbered by three touchdowns by East Tennessee State. They've gotten clobbered by Stanford, 41-23. They've won a couple of nail biters on field goals by former Alabama kicker Joseph Bolivus, now playing for Vanderbilt, against Colorado State and UConn. And then there was the game that we have both alluded to against Georgia, where the Bulldogs blanked them 62-0. So, I've been talking long enough, Dustin. I'll turn it over to you. And the prompt is, is there anything that Vanderbilt does that scares you at all? Not really, Neil. If this, if Florida doesn't cover the spread, it's going to be something on the Florida side that would scare me more than anything on the Vanderbilt side. And again, we, we, we spoke about it the entire pod uh, after the Kentucky defeat. It, we need to stop the self-inflicted wounds. There's no reason why a defense that predicates itself on creating pressure and causing havoc um, in the backfield, there's no reason why this type of defense shouldn't be creating turnovers and against the Kentucky team. And again, I know we put Kentucky to bed, but let me just say this against the Kentucky team that Florida should have been like plus at least plus one or plus two in the turnover battle. As far as, as far as causing more turnovers than producing, if that makes sense, we weren't, it was even. And against the Vanderbilt team, Vanderbilt is, I mean, they're pretty bad too. You know, we should have two or three interceptions on Vanderbilt. There's no reason why why we shouldn't be forcing turnovers on them, but we're not, and that worries me, Neil. And on on the other side, this is a team that we should obliterate. This is a team that we should have. Every receiver should be wide open. We should be wreaking havoc. On their secondary you know we thought south florida was bad and look at what we did against them in the run game it, it should be it should be even easier to run on these guys i mean there was a, a a running back from connecticut last week they lost but the running backs one running back got 123 yards now Connecticut got 523 total yards of offense against Vanderbilt. If Connecticut, Connecticut, which is 0-6, Connecticut, which is one of the worst teams in the country in FBS, 
That Connecticut team got 523 yards. If this Florida team can't get at least 620, 630 yards on Vanderbilt, it's going to be a long, and I mean a long season, Neil. Connecticut is so bad that not only are they 0-6, their losses have come to Holy Cross, Purdue by 50, or no, 40, it was 49 nothing. they lost to Purdue. So they lost to Purdue by 49 points. They lost to Fresno State by 45. They lost to Army by 31, and they lost to Wyoming. So that's the kind of 0-6. It's not the kind of 0-6 like, ah, they're just losing on last-second field goals here and there. No, they're getting smoked. So, yeah, that's the UConn that took Vandy down to the wire. And that's the kind of team that Florida is going to be facing this week. And that's why I say, no, there is not anything that Vanderbilt does to scare me because – well, we can, we can start with the stats and then work our way to the tape. Somehow, their quarterback, Ken Seals, has actually thrown for more yards than Emory Jones. I mean, I, I know Emory's got his problems, but 894 yards in those five games. But, but Dustin, this is why season stats don't tell the whole story. And this is why you have to go into more detail and study each game. So Vanderbilt's two and three. And like we've said, their first five games have been against UConn, Colorado State, East Tennessee State, Stanford, and Georgia. Dustin, you are banned from Google for the next 10 seconds. You are not to look at any search engine or any ESPN, Yahoo, CBS, whatever. I want you to take a guess as to how many yards he threw for against Georgia. How many yards did Ken Seals, the Vanderbilt quarterback, throw for against the Georgia Bulldogs? Off the top of my head, less than 50. Eight. That's it. Eight, as in the integer between seven and nine. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight passing yards. He's two for nine in the air for a grand total of eight yards. It's 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 pretty shocking. Like you have yeah. like Treon Harris in those in that famous game against Georgia that Gator fans love to troll Georgia fans about, myself included. I'd love to troll Georgia fans about that. We Gator fans love trolling Georgia about that. He threw more he threw for more than eight yards in that game. <laughs> Why did Ken Seals throw for eight yards against Georgia? Well, because a look at the tape. And I managed about four drives of it before I said, okay, that's enough. I got what I need. I, I, they, they, the tape has made its point. The receivers are blanketed by Georgia's cornerbacks, many of whom were not even starters at that point because, I mean, why bother? Their offensive line was food. Georgia just, just fell forward and pushed their way into the backfield. They only got one sack somehow. But, I mean, they were so clearly dominated in the trenches that – Georgia could have gotten seven or eight if they really wanted to. Uh, they don't have any running game. They, I mean, that was all they could do against Georgia. They finished the day with 77 yards of total offense and seals through for eight of those 77. I think their backup QB threw for about 15 or so. They didn't do much on the ground either. So Georgia's defense is clearly better than Florida's, but that's the only SEC team they faced so far. Stanford is, 
kind of suspect. So that's all we really have to go by. That's that's the most congruent comparison we're going to have. And their defense is atrocious too. I for, forget Georgia. I mean, everyone in the SEC at this point knows about the sixty-two nothing margin that Georgia dropped on them. Throw that out against their other four opponents: East Tennessee State, Colorado State, Stanford, and UConn. Vanderbilt is still giving up 28 points a game. So it's not even like Georgia has this anomalous performance against Vandy. Oh, it was just one bad performance. They're still surrendering an average of four touchdowns a game against East Tennessee State, Colorado State, Stanford, and UConn. And and a, a minimum of 20 to each of them. It's not like, you know, there's one bad performance in that other four that's you know, skewing the margin. No, they've given up at least 20 points to all five of their opponents so far, four of which are significantly less talented than Florida. So not to spoil the verdict ahead of time, which is the next and final thing on our agenda today, but this, for all intents and purposes, is an FCS team that Florida's playing. Uh, I mean, like Florida could lose after Georgia Southern. That's always going to be a non-zero possibility, but this is the sort of team where the talent disparity is so massive that it's going to take an avalanche of turnovers to keep Vandy in it. And I may have just stolen Dustin's key to the game, but I'll give him a chance to tell me. Dustin, verdict time. What is your key to Florida versus Vanderbilt? Florida needs to be explosive. I mean, Neil. You know, you know me very well, okay. And if and if I know I've mentioned it before, but I'm not sure if I've mentioned it in uh, this season's iteration of the pod. I got my degree at the University of Florida in none other than aerospace engineering, and I was part of the University of Florida rocket team. And what is a rocket? A rocket is a controlled explosion in a specific direction. We need to be explosive on offense. We need to break massive plays. If we don't break at least five big plays, these are, and, and I consider an explosive play a play that is, that is greater than 20 yards in the run game and greater than 30 yards in the pass game. That's what I consider an explosive play. Ideally, you would be hitting touchdowns. I don't care who's running the ball. We should have 75 and 80-yard touchdown runs and touchdown throws on this team. No excuses to not have that. And then on defense, we also need to be explosive. We need to make interceptions, force fumbles, take it to the house. This team needs to be explosive. Now, they can not be explosive and beat Vanderbilt. But we all know that obviously the number one goal of every football game is to win. But the Gators need to show the world something. And that's this, that the Kentucky game was not a fluke. I'm skeptical of the Gators. But the Gators can still, even against one of the most inept teams in the country, the Gators can show me something that can give me some confidence about this team being able to turn it around. 
you missed the great chance there to talk about the Florida offense doing something and then saying, it's not rocket science, guys. Like, literally, I know rocket science, and this isn't it. Yes. I'll let you save that for another pod, though. I'll let you save yes. that. No, it's all good. Um, it's all good. I'm glad you recognize it. <laughs> yeah, no, Dustin is a legit rocket scientist. At least that's you know that's what he's got a degree in. He's does some pretty good photography work for uh, rocket launches too. I mean, Dust, Dustin knows rockets. Put it that way. Like Dustin knows the physics of rockets. He knows how to photograph rockets. That is something that he is very very interested in. He's obviously a very smart individual, and he's dedicated a lot of time and effort to the science and the you know the the photography of rockets and so if anyone knows rocket science it's him so if ever we get to a point in the pod where we're, where we're infuriated by something hint hint dan mullen hint hint todd grantham and we say it's not rocket science trust us when we say at least dustin does dustin knows what he's talking about yeah key to the game florida just don't turn the ball over seven times i mean that that's it if we're talking strictly about a key for Florida to not wind up on the wrong side of the scoreboard. Don't turn the ball over seven times. Uh, I mean, I talked about how Florida can cover the spread earlier. The offensive line's got to do its job. The receivers have to consistently and en masse, meaning not just one or two on a given play, but all four or five of them consistently get open. Emery, read the field, go through your progressions, take checkdowns when they're there. Don't do anything too crazy. Don't be... Superman, you know, sometimes being Clark Kent is just fine. Just take your six or seven yard gain, whatever, call it a play, move on to the next one. Um, don't overthink anything. Just, you know, just just play like an average SEC quarterback for this game, and that'll be enough for the cover. And I want to see the aggression by anyone out there in the Gator uniform for all 60 minutes. I understand when you're playing a team like Vanderbilt, the game's likely to get away fairly quickly. So if it's 49 nothing at halftime, I totally understand not putting the starters back out there, but that's the chance for the backups to shine. I want to see my guy do one black get out there and ball. I want to see someone like Jason Marshall get extended reps, the true freshman. Um, learn to not get so handsy sometimes and stop getting those PIs thrown in them. So, yeah, um, that's it. Like, that's all it's going to take for Florida to not only win, but to win fairly easily. So, um player of the game we'll both or yeah a, a player to watch for player of the game is the post game segment the player to watch for dustin uh let's let's go very quick on this one i'm going to say zach carter i think if he's going to really have a shot to break that single season sack record by alex brown he's almost halfway there by the way the record's 13 carter's at five and a half he's got seven regular season games to go plus possibly a bowl game Vanderbilt's offensive line is not great. They've already surrendered eight sacks against that mostly cupcake schedule plus Georgia. So look for Carter to get there and at least get one or two. How about you, Dustin? Neil, I wrote two names down. I wrote Zach Carter and I wrote Emory Jones. Emory Jones needs to have a good game. He cannot look like how we did against Florida Atlantic. He can't. He can't throw two interceptions. Now, I think that this Gator offense is going to run all over Vanderbilt, and whatever Emory does, it won't necessarily matter. 
But again, when we're talking about a player to watch, I need to see Emery be efficient. Again, he doesn't need to be Kyle Trask. He doesn't need to be Tim Tebow. All he needs to be is the best version of himself. And Emery, if you're listening to this, go out and ball. This is a big opportunity to show the swamp what you're made of so that this Gator Nation can have confidence going into the next few games. All right. I like it. Score predictions. Probably the the least anticlimactic part of the show because I think everyone knows who Dustin and I are going to pick. So, Dustin, let's get your score prediction. Neil, this, this Kentucky game, again, I know we put it to bed. I keep rehashing it, but for good reason. This Kentucky game has damaged me. I've been damaged by this game. And, Neil, this show is part of my therapy to the damage that has been done. And I, the reason why I say this show is part of it, the, the great portion of that therapy is going to come Saturday beginning at noon. The Gators should, the Gators should beat Vanderbilt by a score of around 52 to around 10. Well, really, Vanderbilt shouldn't score a single point on, on this Florida defense. Should is the key word. I, until, until Dan Mullen and this offense show me something else other than the product that they put on the field, especially the pass game for the first five games, I will not, and Neil, I'm telling you this, I will not, I will not pick um, Florida with the points or however you want to say that. Yeah, you will not so take this, Florida to cover. I will not take Florida to cover. So my score is Florida 37 and Vanderbilt 10. So that is Florida scoring 27 points more than Vanderbilt. And, of course, the, uh, the spread is now currently sitting, as of the recording of this pod, at 38 and a half. The easiest, so, bet, easiest bet ever. Uh, yes. Florida's going to win the game. There's, there's no doubt about that. Florida – could be woken up from a drunken stupor as a team. Like you could just bang on their doors at 11, 15 in the morning for a noon kickoff. Like after they've been passed out drunk from a blackout the night before, and you could just put them in a wheelbarrow and roll them into the stadium and say, all right, drunkies suit up. And they'd still beat Vanderbilt. But I also don't expect a whole lot more from them than simply scoring more points than Vanderbilt. I, I look at that 38 and a half point spread and I laugh. Florida is more talented than Vanderbilt. They can cover that spread if they want. They might even cover it at a point in the game, but Dan Mullen is the worst enemy of every Florida Gator fan better because whenever he's in a rare position to take advantage of a ridiculously lopsided point spread. He covers it, takes his foot off the gas and just runs the rest of the game out. Like he, he essentially takes a knee for 40 minutes. If he has to like, look at USF, 
That game was 35-3 with six and a half minutes to go in the second quarter. Florida could have put 100 points on USF if they really wanted to. Like if if a if a divine being or Scott Strickland even were to walk up to him and say, Dan, you need to score 100 points or you're fired and you'll be blacklisted from football. I know that's ridiculous, but just roll with me for a second here. If somehow that were the situation where he had to score 100 points or his coaching career would be over, Florida would have scored 100 points and they would have had time to spare because USF is that bad. Vanderbilt's worse. But Florida's going to be a little sluggish. Uh, You know, again, they'll beat Vandy. They have – clear talent advantage in the trenches uh, but wide receiver their corners are going to shut down Vandy's passing game if the front seven somehow does not which again they easily should and this game's going to be over by halftime but again Mullen's not going to show a whole lot Florida's going to run a vanilla game plan because you know they've already lost two games but sure let's go ahead and save something for the rest of the year which Mullen has been accused of doing by the fans. I don't know that that's really accurate at this point, but people claim it, so I may as well throw it out there. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll say Florida 31-7, and it'll be a game where Florida's up, you know, 21-3 after the first quarter, and then they'll – or sorry, 21 nothing at the end of the first quarter, and then they'll just cruise from there because I – like you, I, I've, I've been beaten and into submission – but the fact that this is what Mullen is, he doesn't care about the point spread. He's, he's just going to you know, roll out of bed, walk over to the stadium, do his job, get his paycheck for the win, go home and call it a day. So 31-7. Um, Dustin, any 30, final thoughts? 31-7. Yep. Wow. At first I, I thought you said 41-7. to Nope. And that was quite low. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Again, Florida could win this game by 60 if they choose to. They will not choose to. I'm saying 31-7. And like you, Dan, show me otherwise. Show yeah. me otherwise. I challenge you. Because at this point in time, quite frankly, you need someone to. And it sure as hell isn't going to be Scott Strickland. So may as well be a, a, a Florida Gator podcast that does it. Yeah. Yeah, we begged Dan Mullen. Beat the crap out of this team. Will they? Probably not. Should they? Heck yeah. But they won't. Yep. They'll win the game. You know, it won't be close. It won't be a nail biter. It won't come down to a last second field goal. Um, Dustin, if you remember the the Toledo game in 2013, do you remember the Bowling Green game in 2012? Like some of those must champ payday games. It'll look a lot oh like that. Oh my. Oh It'll my. look like that. It'll look like FAU <sighs> this year. Neil, why why must you remind me of that torture? You know why? Because we have a coach who re- insists on doing so on a weekly basis against cupcakes. So I may as well prepare you for it now. Yes. Yep. Well, we'll see. I hope we're wrong. <laughs> yeah. We hope we're wrong. Dude, if but... we nail this projection, we have to continue to belittle him every week. Yes. It's only weird if it doesn't work. Yeah. And even still, if Florida goes out and beats Vanderbilt 62 to nothing, like, like Georgia did, I'm still not going to pick Florida to cover. Because I'm going to, like, just based on 
what we've seen so far this season, we're going to be right most of the time. Yeah. In fact, I think the only game that Florida defied the spread or was ironically against Alabama. No, they covered against Tennessee as well. Yes. Yeah, that, two that and three spread. Against the spread. Yes. But against against teams that are overwhelmingly less talented than them or overwhelmingly overmatched, he almost never covers. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So that's our show for today. Um, as always, if you enjoyed, please go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and a nice review on iTunes. We would definitely appreciate that. Um, we'll be back next week to hopefully preview a game against LSU that means something because Florida has beaten Vanderbilt to get back in the winning side of things and has actually gotten something to look forward to the rest of the way. Um, Until then, Dustin and I both thank you guys for listening. Dustin, do we get your, your signature outro or do we not deserve it after Kentucky? Um, I'll just say this in all kinds of weather, we all stick together. Go Gators. No, so we're not going to get the big rousing Go Gators. And I don't no. think the team deserves it as of right now, nope. unfortunately. Um, nope. yep, hey, look, if Florida covers the spread, though it might be to the detriment of some of our, uh, some of our listeners in their, in their betting, as, we, as we've implored y'all to uh, bet against the spread, the spread um, stay away from this game, period. But – yeah, I do go Gators if they look good. If we run for 400 yards and Emory is serviceable. Sure. I kind of want to ban you from it until and unless we beat Georgia because that would merit it. Look, if it, I don't want to jump ahead of where we're at now, but if we beat LSU, yeah, I that's be, true. That's true. I will that, be going bonkers. That, yeah, because that would be a payback win after last year. That, all right, that's yeah. fair. We beat LSU look, on the road. We win our next two games, sure. Yeah. But, yeah, until then, y'all stay safe, stay healthy. Go Gators. Yep, ditto.